Please stand as you're able for a reading from John 4, 7 through 15. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Creator God, we thank you for speaking to us this morning, thus far in the song, in words that have been offered in prayer. Thank you, God, for speaking to us in your holy scriptures. Continue to Send your Holy Spirit to help our minds to understand the mystery and the joy and the freedom that your Holy Word gives to us. I pray that in this time of offering the sermon that you've given for me to share, that we hear your voice, that it might call to us and invite us to transformation in your name. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thirst is an interesting thing. Thirst helps us to maintain proper hydration levels so that we might stay alive. Without thirst, we can actually easily forget to drink enough water. And all of us experience thirst. But I wonder if because we all experience it, maybe often, we miss how important it is to keeping us well. Thirst signifies a very specific physiological need. Because when we're physically thirsty, we need water. I'm sad to say it doesn't mean we need coffee. <laughs> or a thirst quencher, or even juice. We need water. Thirst points to a void that can only be filled with what is specifically lacking. Now, a weird thing about thirst is that it can be mistaken for other things. Now, you may not know this about your associate pastor, but I can tend to be a little bit of a hypochondriac. Any little symptom of something I think could be the worst possible disease that that's a symptom of. So ever since I read about diabetes from the Babysitter's Club when I was in junior high, 
I thought every time I was thirsty, like way more than I thought I should have been, that I was becoming diabetic, which is not outside of the realm of possible. My father is a type 2 diabetic, but still, I, that's what I thought was going on. Then, sometime in my early 30s, I find out, no, that's not it. I have a whole different issue going on that causes my mouth to be dry. So it's not thirst actually at all. The other thing about thirst, well, so that's me mistaking thirst for something that actually it isn't. There are other ways to do that as well, because we can also mistake thirst for hunger and even for fatigue. So when you have the munchies, drink some water or take a nap. You may not actually be hungry. You may not actually be, thir- you may not actually be hungry or tired. You might actually just be thirsty. Because I often tell my sons, drink water before they grab a snack, because sometimes it's just hard to know if you're actually hungry or if you're thirsty. And there's scientific support for this kind of confusion in what we're experiencing, because the hypothalamus, a deep structure in our brain, is what regulates our body temperature, sleep, appetite, and thirst. The writer of Isaiah, I think, understood the experience of thirst when he wrote this text. He assumes the thirst and the hunger of the listener because his listeners were living in exile. But to hear these words today, I think we realize that they are addressed to us as well. To accept the invitation to drink, we first have to understand that we are in fact thirsty. To accept the invitation to eat, we first have to realize that we are also in fact hungry. To experience the satisfaction God offers, we must first be aware of our need. The woman at the well knew that she needed water. She also knew that she didn't want an ordeal when she went to get it. You see, part of her story is that she lives an uncommon life, having had relationships with more than one man. Most other women would come to fill their jars at the well early in the morning, but she came later in the day, possibly to avoid the crowd and avoid their comments to her. She knew she needed water, and she also knew that she needed peace of mind without interaction with anybody else. But instead, she met Jesus, who talks to her. He offers her living water, that it will be a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And she's intrigued and asks where to get that water so she doesn't have to go back to that dumb well every day. Jesus continues to talk to her, telling her what he, being Jesus, already knows about her, that she has had five husbands, and the one she's with isn't her husband. The story ends with her running away back into the community, proclaiming the mystery and the joy of her encounter with Jesus. She's amazed, and her new life begins the moment she honestly faces her situation and recognizes in Jesus the one who was willing to give living water, even knowing her mess. Are we willing to admit our thirst for living water? Are we willing to face our situation or our mess? Now, thirst cannot be quenched unless we know we're thirsty. And I wonder, why did that woman at the well, why was she married to five different men? 
I wonder what she was seeking to fulfill. And thinking about that reading from Isaiah, I turned the question that he asked on all of us. Why do we spend our money for that which is not bread? And our labor for that which does not satisfy? That last question made me think about my grandfather. He would have been 90 last year. It made me think about him because he was one who actually did spend his money on bread. And he labored for what satisfied him. My mom said that they, as kids, didn't think about if they were poor or rich. They just had fun and had love in their family. My grandfather worked so that his family would have enough. He had no interest in climbing a ladder or making a financial empire for himself. He wanted his family to have enough, to have love, and to have fun together. My mom's told me stories where she doesn't remember seeing the other dads so much play in the neighborhood with the kids as much as my grandfather did. He worked hard and he played hard, even until he passed away. And I wonder if that might be a characteristic of his generation. I wonder if it was maybe partly his attempt to have peace as a black man in Atlanta in the 60s and 70s. He focused his attention on home and not the injustices that he faced at work. But today, today we have so many things that are vying for our attention, that are vying for our money and our time. And our senses can only notice a certain amount of things at a time. If we're hungry or in pain or tired or thirsty, our attention often becomes focused on alleviating the discomfort and giving our bodies what they need. These days we recognize that we're one body. We are one mind, body, soul. We don't separate them apart anymore. But we realize that the different parts of our body interact with the rest of us. If our bodies are in need, it impairs the function of our minds, our hearts, and our souls. If we're upset, then it makes us physically tired. We might stress eat or stress fast, and it becomes hard to think clearly. Our culture tells us that we should labor for and buy things that matter to someone, maybe not to us, but definitely to the people who, we're, who are profiting from us. The good news is that all of that isn't actually new. For all time, humans have had the capacity to be distracted from what really matters. People have wanted power over their neighbors, so we've thought up ways that we can make others indebted to us. We meet someone who's different from us, and instead of engaging their difference, we fear, ostracize, or eliminate them. We need to feel superior to others, so we make up markers of success, and those who don't meet those markers are made to feel inferior. We're sad or disillusioned, so we eat too much chocolate, drink too much alcohol, maybe buy the expensive shoes, or in some extreme cases, we might go buy that sports car or exchange our present spouse for a new one. <laughs> These challenges, though, aren't new, and neither is the solution. Because we have to know we're thirsty.
What Isaiah's hearers and the woman at the well have in common is finding that living water that truly satisfies us comes from God alone. We thirst for love, acceptance, and to be truly seen and known in community. As long as we look outside for something to satisfy us and to quench our thirst, we'll always be thirsty. God loves us and wants us to be satisfied by life-giving water. There are so many stories in the Bible of unrest and war and of strife and pain to help us see what happens when we stray away from placing God as our primary concern. Through the teaching of Jesus, we find that we are in fact loved and accepted forever even when we mess up, we find that there is no way to earn extra love or to have any of God's love taken from us. We find that we are created in the image of God, and that means that we all have the capacity to create, to love, to be just. It also means that each of us has a bit of God within each of us, making us equal To experience the satisfaction offered by God, we must be willing to take a drink. In the words in Isaiah, he is imperative that we come to the water, that we come and buy and eat the food and buy the milk and wine. We are nearly commanded to experience the abundance that God offers. To experience the satisfaction offered by God, we must listen and come to the Lord. And that's how we take this drink of living water. When we come and listen to God, that's prayer. We become aware of God's work in the world and we begin to see it manifest almost like the same old normal stuff we see. We begin to recognize that we are all a part of God's work in the world and that even the sometimes small activities we do, the things that we think are unnoticed or insignificant, that those things are magnified in the economy of God. Prayer takes on many different postures, but one thing that is needed in all the ways we pray is focus. In prayer, we look for God and listen for God's voice. Now, there is talking in prayer, but there should also be a lot of silence as we wait to hear the voice of God. Prayer allows us to see the movement and presence of God, which in turn may give context to the relative importance or not importance of our daily concerns. We stop spending our earnings on things that don't satisfy. We stop spending our time, which is so much more valuable than money on the things that do not satisfy us. We become more aware of that for which we thirst. When we can experience the satisfaction that only God can give us, we are able to offer God's water, to offer God's food and milk and wine to others. But sometimes we put off our own thirst for later. I'll pray later. I'll go read the Bible later. But what I'm learning is that our time to drink from God's water and to eat at God's table is important for us and for the people we have been sent 
to interact with in the world. God commands us to drink and to eat. God invites us to experience the radical difference of God's reign. And when we do, we realize just how pale and dysfunctional the reign of people can be. We have choice, but if we don't experience and welcome God's ways, how can we offer that fulfilled life to others? Dalton began this series, Don't Just Survive, Thrive, discussing the Ten Commandments and how first they help us to put God first and have no idols before our God. He talked about the holy no that then frees us for a holy yes to where God is calling us to serve. He also shared our necessity to rest that week. And last week he reminded us that we live in a community and how we act toward one another in that community actually matters to God. So my challenge to us today, as we consider how we can thrive, is to notice when we are thirsty and then to intentionally take a drink from God's living water. If that means you need to go and play with your kids, if it means you need to actually just go on the playground by yourself and get on that swing, if it means that you need to take a mental health day, go to the mountains, maybe just stay in the bathroom stall by yourself for a little while. Moms can feel that, okay. Or even if it means that you wanna come here during the week and come in this room and just kneel and pray or sit in silence, do what your soul needs so that you can encounter God, God who is with us. So, the invitation to drink, to eat, and to be satisfied by God has been offered. Will you accept? My prayer is that you will. Amen.